This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. Introduction to Cardioversion by Dr. Mjai Maswi. Healthcare workers in all healthcare settings should always adhere to the latest World Health Organization guidelines on hand hygiene and barrier precautions before and after contact with a patient, bodily fluids, or patient surroundings. For more information, please watch our video entitled Hand Hygiene. Hello, I'm Mjai Maswi. I'm a clinical fellow in cardiology here at Children's Hospital Boston, and I'm going to talk to you about cardioversion. I'm going to discuss cardioversion uh, and then show you the algorithm that we use here at Children's Hospital Boston. I want to emphasize that you might have to modify the algorithm based upon the equipment that you have available or the circumstances at your hospital. We're going to first of all start out by discussing the physiology of cardioversion. We're going to move on to the indications for cardioversion. I'm going to orient you to some of the equipment that we use when we cardiovert patients. Uh, and then finally run an actual simulated cardioversion to display the steps occurring in a simulated clinical setting. Introduction. Cardioversion involves uh, the application of an electrical shock to the myocardium that is synchronized with the cardiac cycle. The way that cardioversion differs from defibrillation is that defibrillation is an asynchronous shock, meaning it can occur at any point in the cardiac cycle. Cardioversion is a shock that's timed to occur at a specific point in the cardiac cycle. The specific point is ventricular depolarization. So you are timing your shock to coincide with the QRS complex specifically the R wave on your EKG. The goal when you uh, do this in a clinical scenario is to cause a sustained diffuse depolarization of cardiac myocytes uh, that's typically followed by a slightly longer refractory period that aids in the resetting of any reentrant arrhythmias and the restoration of sinus rhythm. Indications. The indications for performing cardioversion include supraventricular tachycardia, atrial fibrillation, and atrial flutter that are not responsive to chemical conversion or in patients that are hemodynamically unstable, and ventricular tachycardia with a pulse. Please note that pulseless ventricular tachycardia requires defibrillation which involves an asynchronous shock. Contraindications This procedure is contraindicated in patients who have indicated that they do not wish to be resuscitated. For example, a patient with a do not resuscitate order. Orienting you to some of the equipment that we use when we are cardioverting patients. The basic function arises from the box. There is considerable variation 
between manufacturers and where these basic functions lie. So in whatever environment you practice, uh, it behooves you to spend a little bit of time learning how your machine is laid out and where these functions lie so that you don't waste precious time trying to understand the machine when you're called upon to use it. The box interacts with the patient by means of paddles or pads. This is an example of a paddle, which typically is actually attached to the machine. This is an example of a pad, which is very much like an EKG lead in that it's got a sticky surface that can be attached to the patient. Paddles and pads come in two sizes. Some machines have three sizes. Most machines have two. Our machine has two sizes. There is a infant, pediatric size, and an adult size. The infant or pediatric size has a diameter of four and a half centimeters, whereas the adult size has a diameter of about 12 to 13 centimeters. I want to show you the size difference with the pediatric and the adult pads as well. The way that we distinguish which size to use is based upon the patient's weight. Patients that are 10 kilograms and below, we use the pediatric sized equipment for. Patients that weigh more than 10 kilograms, we use adult-sized equipment for. Patient assessment. Uh, this is not always the case, but as a general rule, uh, rhythms that we cardiovert tend to be relatively more hemodynamically stable than pulseless VT or ventricular fibrillation. And as a result of this, it actually makes a lot of sense to make sure that in addition to getting your resources together to deliver a shock as early as is necessary, you pay attention to the evaluation of the patient to decide on where that shock occurs, whether it's in the emergency department, the ICU, and under what circumstances. The assessment of the patient to determine the effects that the arrhythmia has on the patient should involve a neurological and hemodynamic assessment. You're doing the neurological assessment to try to assess for essentially decompensated shock. In this case, it would be cardiogenic shock as a result of inadequate cardiac output as a result of the tachyarrhythmia. In pediatrics, that's looking for age-appropriate behaviors and interactivity. Uh, usually these rhythms occur in situations that are very unusual for the patient and quite stressful. And so a baby with a hemodynamically stable tachycardia would look pink, be crying, be agitated, possibly not feel too well, but would have a palpable pulse. It's much more important to assess central pulses than peripheral pulses when we're looking for hemodynamic stability and our capillary refill. Adjuncts to that hands-on patient assessment include looking at our pleth uh, and looking at our saturation and assessing a blood pressure by blood pressure cuff. So the questions that you need to answer when you've decided that a patient has come in in a cardiovertible rhythm are what the rhythm is and whether this is a rhythm that is shockable and what the patient's hemodynamic and neurological status are. If a patient presents and is hemodynamically stable, for instance with a re-entrant supraventricular tachycardia, then clinically the appropriate next step would be to attempt vagal maneuvers and medical therapy before considering cardioversion. In a hemodynamically unstable patient with SVT, you bypass those earlier steps and proceed directly to cardioversion. 
Similarly, in a hemodynamically stable patient with atrial fibrillation, comes to an emergency room or an ICU with a ventricular rate that is able to sustain the circulation, considerations should be given to all kinds of ancillary pieces of management of the patient. So for instance, the need for a period of anticoagulation before cardioversion, sedation, and possibly even anesthesia, because these are painful procedures. All of these considerations are not things that you should dwell on in a hemodynamically unstable patient. Hemodynamically unstable patients, you proceed straight to the shock, with your success being contingent often on how quickly you can deliver that shock. Procedure Placement of Pads For an adult-sized patient, place the pads over the mid-sternum at the base of the heart and the mid-axillary line over the apex of the heart. If you have a pediatric-sized patient and or the pads come into contact with each other when placing both pads anteriorly, you should use the anterior-posterior pad placement. Where one pad is placed anteriorly in the mid-sternal position and the other pad is placed posteriorly in the interscapular position. Procedure Selecting Cardioversion Settings Looking at the basic functionality now of the box itself, to successfully cardiovert a patient, you have to have the ability to select a particular electrical energy in the form of joules on your machine. Machines have a dial. Uh, typically, it looks very much like the one on this machine that allows you to switch the machine on and then select a particular voltage based upon the requ patient's requirements. With cardioversion, the initial shock is delivered at an energy level of 0.5 to 1 joules per kilogram. If that shock is unsuccessful, all subsequent shocks are delivered at 2 joules per kilogram. People generally tend to fall into specific reproducible behaviors, and this is something that I would encourage. Uh, for instance, I usually use one joule per kilogram as the first shock because it's easy to calculate and it's reproducible from one patient to the next. It's important not to continue to progressively augment your voltage as higher shocks increase the chances of skin burns occurring and increase the chances of myocardial damage and post-shock tachyarrhythmias. In addition to selecting your voltage, you have a button up here on the machine that is a sync button. Cardioversion requires that you synchronize your shock to the patient's native rhythm in order to deliver that shock on the R wave. Once you have selected a voltage, and for purposes of demonstration here very briefly, I'm going to select a voltage of 20. You press the sync button so that the machine synchronizes to the QRS complex. On this machine, the synchronized activity is demonstrated by these little white dots that appear above the QRS complex. It's extremely important when you are going to cardiovert a patient that you actually look at what the machine is synchronizing with. Patients with a tall, prominent T wave quite often will have the machine inadvertently synchronize the shock to the T wave. 
That is something that you very much want to avoid. That is called R on T, or alternatively, delivering a shock during the relative refractory period of the ventricle. And the danger that you run when you do that is you uh, run a significant risk of inducing ventricular fibrillation, which is a considerably more difficult arrhythmia uh, to treat. Once your machine is on, you've pressed your sync button and you've ascertained that the machine is synchronized with the R wave on the QRS complex. The next button that you need to know is the charge button. Charge button is pressed and the machine then charges and indicates to you either by an audio cue, by a visual cue, that it's ready to deliver the voltage. On this machine, this little button, or the shock button, lights up when we are ready to deliver a charge. The shock button is the final button that we'll talk about. The shock button discharges the electrical shock and hopefully cardioverts the patient by delivering a reversion shock, converting you from an arrhythmia back to sinus rhythm. Before delivering the shock, it is the responsibility of whoever is going to press that button to ensure that he or she and all other assistants at the resuscitation are clear of the patient. The algorithm that we use here at Children's involves the person delivering the shock saying, I'm clear, you're clear, we're all clear. And that gives you time to ask the question, but also look around to make sure no one's in contact with the patient, so that you do not inadvertently shock one of your assistants. Once you've ascertained that everyone is clear of the patient, you deliver the shock by depressing this button. It's important to note that in cardioversions, there's typically a lag between the depression of the button and the delivery of the shock. And that's because the machine makes sure that it's synchronized before a shock is delivered. So do not press and immediately uh, release pressure on the button. Press and hold the button down when you cardiovert a patient to deliver the shock. Procedure. Complications. The complications that you may observe include conversion into another type of arrhythmia, dissemination of a formed thrombus to the small vessels in the brain causing a stroke, or the lungs causing a pulmonary embolism injury to heart muscle, skin burns from the electrodes. Please note that you may or may not observe any of these complications during or following this procedure. I encourage you to monitor your patient closely for signs or symptoms of complications and to be prepared to manage them, which includes having the necessary equipment available to treat the complications should any arise. Procedure Documentation. Following cardioversion, you should document the following information in the patient's medical record. The indication for the procedure. The date and time of the procedure. The number of synchronous shocks and the voltage required to restore normal cardiac rhythm. The name, dosage, and route of administration of any medications given during cardioversion. The vital signs before during and after procedure. Patient comfort with the procedure. Any adverse outcomes. Demonstration. During our simulation, I'll leave the pads in front of the patient over the approximate area of the right ventricular apex and the second pad in the anterior axillary line where the approximate posterior base of the left ventricle is. 
The mannequin is only able to sense the electrical activity when the plaids are placed in very specific positions, as you can see. In the simulation, we have a 10 kilogram infant that has presented to our ICU, uh, who we will demonstrate our algorithm in. So we start out with a hemodynamically stable patient, and we have an acute change in the rhythm. We look at our monitor, and we have a narrow complex tachycardia at a very high rate. We quickly assess the patient's hemodynamics. The patient is not responsive. The patient's pulse is progressively getting weaker and weaker, and the patient's cap refill is poor. Our first step with the synchronized cardioversion is to press sync. Watch our monitor and make sure that the synchronization spikes, those little white dots, are occurring over the R wave of our QRS complex. Select our voltage. And our initial voltage is going to be one joule per kilogram, which I've dialed in. When I'm happy that the machine is synced, I charge. I'm clear, you're clear, we're all clear. I deliver my shock. Our first shock was unsuccessful. So I immediately go to two joules per kilogram. I once again ensure that I am synchronized with the R wave of the QRS complex. I charge the machine. Clear, I'm clear, you're clear, we're all clear. Deliver a shock. And we have a restoration of what appears to be sinus rhythm. I reassess the patient's perfusion. I can feel strong pulses. We cycle the blood pressure and make sure that this is a perfusing rhythm. That concludes our video on Introduction to Cardioversion. Please help us improve the content by providing us with some feedback. What did or didn't you like about this video? Was the content too simple, just right, or too difficult? Was the length too short, just right, or too long? Any additional comments? You can either click the Start a New Discussion button and type in feedback or send us an email at openpediatrics at childrens.harvard.edu. Note, feedback is not required to complete this activity in the guided learning pathway. Indications. The indications for performing cardioversion include supraventricular tachycardia, atrial fibrillation, and atrial flutter that are not responsive to chemical conversion or in patients that are hemodynamically unstable, and ventricular tachycardia with a pulse. Please note that pulseless ventricular tachycardia requires defibrillation, which involves an asynchronous shock. Contraindications This procedure is contraindicated in patients who have indicated that they do not wish to be resuscitated. For example, a patient with a do not resuscitate order. Equipment orienting you to some of the equipment 
that we use when we are cardioverting patients. The basic function arises from the box. There is considerable variation between manufacturers and where these basic functions lie. So in whatever environment you practice, uh, it behooves you to spend a little bit of time learning how your machine is laid out and where these functions lie so that you don't waste precious time trying to understand the machine when you're called upon to use it. The box interacts with the patient by means of paddles or pads. This is an example of a paddle which typically is actually attached to the machine. This is an example of a pad which is very much like an EKG lead in that it's got a sticky surface that can be attached to the patient. Paddles and pads come in two sizes. Some machines have three sizes. Most machines have two. Our machine has two sizes. There is a infant pediatric size and an adult size. The infant or pediatric size has a diameter of four and a half centimeters, whereas the adult size has a diameter of about 12 to 13 centimeters. I want to show you the size difference with the pediatric and the adult pads as well. The way that we distinguish which size to use is based upon the patient's weight. Patients that are 10 kilograms and below, we use the pediatric sized equipment for. Patients that weigh more than 10 kilograms, we use adult sized equipment for. Patient assessment. Uh, this is not always the case, but as a general rule, uh, rhythms that we cardiovert tend to be relatively more hemodynamically stable than pulseless VT or ventricular fibrillation. And as a result of this, it actually makes a lot of sense to make sure that in addition to getting your resources together to deliver a shock as early as is necessary, you pay attention to the evaluation of the patient to decide on where that shock occurs, whether it's in the emergency department, the ICU, and under what circumstances. The assessment of the patient to determine the effects that the arrhythmia has on the patient should involve a neurological and hemodynamic assessment. You're doing the neurological assessment to try to assess for essentially decompensated shock. In this case, it would be cardiogenic shock as a result of inadequate cardiac output as a result of the tachyarrhythmia. In pediatrics, that's looking for age-appropriate behaviors and interactivity. Uh, usually these rhythms occur in situations that are very unusual for the patient and quite stressful. And so a baby with a hemodynamically stable tachycardia would look pink, be crying, be agitated, possibly not feel too well, but would have a palpable pulse. It's much more important to assess central pulses than peripheral pulses when we're looking for hemodynamic stability and our capillary refill. Adjuncts to that hands-on patient assessment include looking at our pleth uh, and looking at our saturation and assessing a blood pressure by blood pressure cuff. So the questions that you need to answer when you've decided that a patient has come in in a cardiovertible rhythm are what the rhythm is, and whether this is a rhythm that is shockable and what the patient's hemodynamic and neurological status are. If a patient presents and is hemodynamically stable, for instance, with a re-entrant supraventricular tachycardia, then clinically, the appropriate next step would be to attempt vagal maneuvers 
and medical therapy before considering cardioversion. In a hemodynamically unstable patient with SVT, you bypass those earlier steps and proceed directly to cardioversion. Similarly, in a hemodynamically stable patient with atrial fibrillation, comes to an emergency room or an ICU with a ventricular rate that is able to sustain the circulation, considerations should be given to all kinds of ancillary pieces of management of the patient. So for instance, the need for a period of anticoagulation before cardioversion, sedation, and possibly even anesthesia, because these are painful procedures. All of these considerations are not things that you should dwell on in a hemodynamically unstable patient. Hemodynamically unstable patients, you proceed straight to the shock, with your success being contingent often on how quickly you can deliver that shock. Procedure Placement of Pads For an adult-sized patient, place the pads over the mid-sternum at the base of the heart and the mid-axillary line over the apex of the heart. If you have a pediatric-sized patient and or the pads come into contact with each other when placing both pads interiorly, you should use the anterior-posterior pad placement. Where one pad is placed anteriorly in the mid-sternal position and the other pad is placed posteriorly in the interscapular position. Introduction to Cardioversion by Dr. Mjai Mazwi. Healthcare workers in all healthcare settings should always adhere to the latest World Health Organization guidelines on hand hygiene and barrier precautions before and after contact with a patient, bodily fluids, or patient surroundings. For more information, please watch our video entitled Hand Hygiene. Hello, I'm Jai Mazwi. I'm a clinical fellow in cardiology here at Children's Hospital Boston, and I'm going to talk to you about cardioversion. I'm going to discuss cardioversion uh, and then show you the algorithm that we use here at Children's Hospital Boston. I want to emphasize that you might have to modify the algorithm based upon the equipment that you have available or the circumstances at your hospital. We're going to first of all start out by discussing the physiology of cardioversion. We're going to move on to the indications for cardioversion. I'm going to orient you to some of the equipment that we use when we cardiovert patients. Uh, and then finally run an actual simulated cardioversion to display the steps occurring in a simulated clinical setting. Introduction. Cardioversion involves uh, the application of an electrical shock to the myocardium that is synchronized with the cardiac cycle. The way that cardioversion differs from defibrillation is that defibrillation is an asynchronous shock, meaning it can occur at any point in the cardiac cycle. Cardioversion is a shock that's timed to occur at a specific point in the cardiac cycle. The specific point is ventricular depolarization. So you are timing your shock to coincide with the QRS complex specifically the R wave on your EKG. The goal 
when you uh, do this in a clinical scenario is to cause a sustained diffuse depolarization of cardiac myocytes uh, that's typically followed by a slightly longer refractory period that aids in the resetting of any reentrant arrhythmias and the restoration of sinus rhythm. Indications. The indications for performing cardioversion include supraventricular tachycardia, atrial fibrillation, and atrial flutter that are not responsive to chemical conversion or in patients that are hemodynamically unstable, and ventricular tachycardia with a pulse. Please note that pulseless ventricular tachycardia requires defibrillation, which involves an asynchronous shock. Contraindications This procedure is contraindicated in patients who have indicated that they do not wish to be resuscitated. For example, a patient with a do not resuscitate order. Orienting you to some of the equipment that we use when we are cardioverting patients. The basic function arises from the box. There is considerable variation between manufacturers and where these basic functions lie. So in whatever environment you practice, uh, it behooves you to spend a little bit of time learning how your machine is laid out and where these functions lie so that you don't waste precious time trying to understand the machine when you're called upon to use it. The box interacts with the patient by means of paddles or pads. This is an example of a paddle which typically is actually attached to the machine. This is an example of a pad which is very much like an EKG lead in that it's got a sticky surface that can be attached to the patient. Paddles and pads come in two sizes. Some machines have three sizes. Most machines have two. Our machine has two sizes. There is a infant, pediatric size, and an adult size. The infant or pediatric size has a diameter of four and a half centimeters, whereas the adult size has a diameter of about 12 to 13 centimeters. I want to show you the size difference with the pediatric and the adult pads as well. The way that we distinguish which size to use is based upon the patient's weight. Patients that are 10 kilograms and below, we use the pediatric sized equipment for. Patients that weigh more than 10 kilograms, we use adult sized equipment for. Patient assessment. Uh, this is not always the case, but as a general rule, uh, rhythms that we cardiovert tend to be relatively more hemodynamically stable than pulseless VT or ventricular fibrillation. And as a result of this, it actually makes a lot of sense to make sure that in addition to getting your resources together to deliver a shock as early as is necessary, you pay attention to the evaluation of the patient to decide on where that shock occurs, whether it's in the emergency department, the ICU, and under what circumstances. The assessment of the patient to determine the effects that the arrhythmia has on the patient should involve a neurological and hemodynamic assessment. You're doing the neurological assessment to try to assess for essentially decompensated shock. In this case, it would be cardiogenic shock as a result of inadequate cardiac output as a result of the tachyarrhythmia. 
In pediatrics, that's looking for age-appropriate behaviors and interactivity. Uh, usually these rhythms occur in situations that are very unusual for the patient and quite stressful. And so a baby with a hemodynamically stable tachycardia would look pink, be crying, be agitated, possibly not feel too well, but would have a palpable pulse. It's much more important to assess central pulses than peripheral pulses when we're looking for hemodynamic stability and our capillary refill. Adjuncts to that hands-on patient assessment include looking at our pleth uh, and looking at our saturation and assessing a blood pressure by blood pressure cuff. So the questions that you need to answer when you've decided that a patient has come in in a cardiovertebral rhythm are what the rhythm is and whether this is a rhythm that is shockable and what the patient's hemodynamic and neurological status are. If a patient presents and is hemodynamically stable, for instance with a re-entrant supraventricular tachycardia, then clinically the appropriate next step would be to attempt vagal maneuvers and medical therapy before considering cardioversion. In a hemodynamically unstable patient with SVT, you bypass those earlier steps and proceed directly to cardioversion. Similarly, in a hemodynamically stable patient with atrial fibrillation, comes to an emergency room or an ICU with a ventricular rate that is able to sustain the circulation, considerations should be given to all kinds of ancillary pieces of management of the patient. So for instance, the need for a period of anticoagulation before cardioversion, sedation, and possibly even anesthesia, because these are painful procedures. All of these considerations are not things that you should dwell on in a hemodynamically unstable patient. Hemodynamically unstable patients, you proceed straight to the shock, with your success being contingent often on how quickly you can deliver that shock. Procedure Placement of Pads For an adult-sized patient, place the pads over the mid-sternum at the base of the heart and the mid-axillary line over the apex of the heart. If you have a pediatric-sized patient and or the pads come into contact with each other when placing both pads interiorly, you should use the anterior-posterior pad placement. Where one pad is placed anteriorly in the mid-sternal position and the other pad is placed posteriorly in the interscapular position. Procedure Selecting cardioversion settings. Looking at the basic functionality now of the box itself, to successfully cardiovert a patient, you have to have the ability to select a particular electrical energy in the form of joules on your machine. Machines have a dial. Uh, typically, it looks very much like the one on this machine that allows you to switch the machine on and then select a particular voltage based upon the requ patient's requirements. With cardioversion, the initial shock is delivered at an energy level of 0.5 to 1 joules per kilogram. If that shock is unsuccessful, all subsequent shocks are delivered at 2 joules per kilogram. People generally tend to fall into specific reproducible behaviors, and this is something that I would encourage. Uh, 
For instance, I usually use one joule per kilogram as the first shock because it's easy to calculate and it's reproducible from one patient to the next. It's important not to continue to progressively augment your voltage as higher shocks increase the chances of skin burns occurring and increase the chances of myocardial damage and post-shock tachyarrhythmias. In addition to selecting your voltage, you have a button up here on the machine that is a sync button. Cardioversion requires that you synchronize your shock to the patient's native rhythm in order to deliver that shock on the R wave. Once you have selected a voltage, and for purposes of demonstration here very briefly, I'm going to select a voltage of 20. You press the sync button so that the machine synchronizes to the QRS complex. On this machine, the synchronized activity is demonstrated by these little white dots that appear above the QRS complex. It's extremely important when you are going to cardiovert a patient that you actually look at what the machine is synchronizing with. Patients with a tall, prominent T wave quite often will have the machine inadvertently synchronize the shock to the T wave. That is something that you very much want to avoid. That is called R on T, or alternatively, delivering a shock during the relative refractory period of the ventricle. And the danger that you run when you do that is you uh, run a significant risk of inducing ventricular fibrillation, which is a considerably more difficult arrhythmia uh, to treat. Once your machine is on, you've pressed your sync button and you've ascertained that the machine is synchronized with the R wave on the QRS complex. The next button that you need to know is the charge button. Charge button is pressed and the machine then charges and indicates to you either by an audio cue, by a visual cue, that it's ready to deliver the voltage. On this machine, this little button, or the shock button, lights up when we are ready to deliver a charge. The shock button is the final button that we'll talk about. The shock button discharges the electrical shock and hopefully cardioverts the patient by delivering a reversion shock, converting you from an arrhythmia back to sinus rhythm. Before delivering the shock, it is the responsibility of whoever is going to press that button to ensure that he or she and all other assistants at the resuscitation are clear of the patient. The algorithm that we use here at Children's involves the person delivering the shock saying, I'm clear, you're clear, we're all clear. And that gives you time to ask the question but also look around to make sure no one's in contact with the patient so that you do not inadvertently shock one of your assistants. Once you've ascertained that everyone is clear of the patient, you deliver the shock by depressing this button. It's important to note that in cardioversions, there's typically a lag between the depression of the button and the delivery of the shock. And that's because the machine makes sure that it's synchronized before a shock is delivered. So do not press and immediately uh, release pressure on the button. Press and hold the button down when you cardiovert a patient to deliver the shock. Procedure. Complications. The complications that you may observe include conversion into another type of arrhythmia, dissemination of a formed thrombus to the small vessels in the brain causing a stroke, or the lungs causing a pulmonary embolism, injury to heart muscle, 
skin burns from the electrodes. Please note that you may or may not observe any of these complications during or following this procedure. I encourage you to monitor your patient closely for signs or symptoms of complications and to be prepared to manage them, which includes having the necessary equipment available to treat the complications should any arise. Procedure Documentation Following cardioversion, you should document the following information in the patient's medical record. The indication for the procedure. The date and time of the procedure. The number of synchronous shocks and the voltage required to restore normal cardiac rhythm. The name, dosage, and route of administration of any medications given during cardioversion. The vital signs before, during, and after procedure patient comfort with the procedure. Any adverse outcomes? Demonstration. During our simulation, I'll leave the pads in front of the patient over the approximate area of the right ventricular apex and the second pad in the anterior axillary line where the approximate posterior base of the left ventricle is. The mannequin is only able to sense the electrical activity when the plaids are placed in very specific positions, as you can see. In the simulation, we have a 10 kilogram infant that has presented to our ICU, uh, who we will demonstrate our algorithm in. So we start out with a hemodynamically stable patient, and we have an acute change in the rhythm. We look at our monitor, and we have a narrow complex tachycardia at a very high rate. We quickly assess the patient's hemodynamics. The patient is not responsive. The patient's pulse is progressively getting weaker and weaker and the patient's cap refill is poor. Our first step with the synchronized cardioversion is to press sync. Watch our monitor and make sure that the synchronization spikes, those little white dots are occurring over the R wave of our QRS complex. Select our voltage and our initial voltage is going to be one joule per kilogram which I've dialed in. When I'm happy that the machine is synced, I charge. I'm clear, you're clear, we're all clear. I deliver my shock. Our first shock was unsuccessful, so I immediately go to two joules per kilogram. I once again ensure that I'm synchronized with the R-wave of the QRS complex. I charge the machine. Clear, I'm clear, you're clear, we're all clear. Deliver a shock. And we have a restoration of what appears to be sinus rhythm. I reassess the patient's perfusion. I can feel strong pulses. We cycle the blood pressure and make sure that this is a perfusing rhythm. That concludes our video on introduction to cardioversion. Please help us improve the content by providing us with some feedback. What did or didn't you like about this video? Was the content too simple, just right, or too difficult? Was the length too short, just right, or too long? Any additional comments? You can either click the Start a New Discussion button and type in feedback or send us an email at 
openpediatrics at childrens.harvard.edu. Note, feedback is not required to complete this activity in the guided learning pathway. Procedure Complications The complications that you may observe include conversion into another type of arrhythmia, dissemination of a formed thrombus to the small vessels in the brain causing a stroke, or the lungs causing a pulmonary embolism, injury to heart muscle, skin burns from the electrodes. Please note that you may or may not observe any of these complications during or following this procedure. I encourage you to monitor your patient closely for signs or symptoms of complications and to be prepared to manage them, which includes having the necessary equipment available to treat the complications should any arise. Procedure Documentation Following cardioversion, you should document the following information in the patient's medical record. The indication for the procedure. The date and time of the procedure. The number of synchronous shocks and the voltage required to restore normal cardiac rhythm. The name, dosage, and route of administration of any medications given during cardioversion. The vital signs before, during, and after procedure. Patient comfort with the procedure. Any adverse outcomes. Demonstration. During our simulation, I'll leave the pads in front of the patient over the approximate area of the right ventricular apex and the second pad in the anterior axillary line where the approximate posterior base of the left ventricle is. The mannequin is only able to sense the electrical activity when the pads are placed in very specific positions as you can see. In the simulation, we have a 10 kilogram infant that has presented to our ICU, uh, who we will demonstrate our algorithm in. So we start out with a hemodynamically stable patient, and we have an acute change in the rhythm. We look at our monitor, and we have a narrow complex tachycardia at a very high rate. We quickly assess the patient's hemodynamics. The patient is not responsive. The patient's pulse is progressively getting weaker and weaker, and the patient's cap refill is poor. Our first step with the synchronized cardioversion is to press sync. Watch our monitor and make sure that the synchronization spikes, those little white dots, are occurring over the R wave of our QRS complex. Select our voltage, and our initial voltage is going to be one joule per kilogram, which I've dialed in. When I'm happy that the machine is synced, I charge. I'm clear, you're clear, we're all clear. I deliver my shock. Our first shock was unsuccessful, so I immediately go to two joules per kilogram. I once again ensure that I am synchronized with the R wave of the QRS complex. I charge the machine. Clear, I'm clear, you're clear, we're all clear. I deliver a shock. 
and we have a restoration of what appears to be sinus rhythm. I reassess the patient's perfusion. I can feel strong pulses. We cycle the blood pressure and make sure that this is a perfusing rhythm. That concludes our video on Introduction to Cardioversion. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org. Thank you.